This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. At the end of 2023, the UN Climate Change Conference, COP28, took place in Dubai. Every year, almost every country in the world attends the two-week-long meeting, making it the biggest and most important conference on climate change. This annual conference of parties is where countries send delegations from their various ministries. Uh, They can range from, say, environmental ministries or, you know, climate change. They come to this conference to discuss international climate change policy. And this is where the Paris Agreement was drafted. And uh, this is also where all the terms, you know, the ways in which the Paris Agreement is going to be implemented is also being drafted. That's Navida Khan, an associate professor and chair of anthropology at Johns Hopkins University. Khan is also the author of the book In Quest of a Shared Planet, Negotiating Climate from the Global South. This year's conference was the largest turnout in its history with close to 84,000 people in attendance. One agreement reached between nations was a promise to collectively begin phasing out the use of fossil fuels like oil, coal, and natural gas. These sources account for over 75% of global greenhouse emissions, a key contributor to climate change. While there was a mutual agreement reached, scientists criticized the lack of specificity for these promises. Leaders didn't reach a conclusion on how much or when exactly these fuels would be phased out by. However, there was a numerical target for reducing the use of methane, which is the primary component of natural gas. The new policy, the Global Methane Pledge, was signed by 150 countries and promises that methane use will be cut by 30% by 2030. Another big focus at this year's conference was to get a better picture of how much countries have accomplished so far when it comes to past climate promises. Sadly, this analysis showed that several nations are lagging far behind on reducing emissions, shifting to renewable energy sources, and building reparation funds for smaller, poorer countries and island nations disproportionately affected by the mass pollution caused by larger developed nations over the last hundred-plus years. That question keeps coming up, you know, to what extent are current industrialized countries, uh, such as those largely in the West, they not only to blame or the cause for it, but what role are they going to play in terms of taking the lead in making their economies uh, net zero or carbon neutral and so on? Khan says smaller, developing, or least developed countries are pushing for greater aid on the global stage. But unfortunately, this hasn't panned out yet because of intruding issues like war and rising tensions between large countries that's stalling climate progress. 
as you know, developing countries such as Brazil, China, India have grown in size and their economies have grown in size, the industrialized countries have felt that historical responsibility isn't as important as what's happening right now and that we should take the current situation into consideration and that developing countries should be equally responsible for mitigating as much as industrialized developed countries. And this still remains a lingering question of responsibility at these climate talks. As an anthropologist, Khan spent several years doing field work in Bangladesh, a country just to the east of India that's dealing with the fallout of climate change on multiple fronts. She says that Bangladesh is considered a least developed country on the world stage and has teamed up with other smaller factions to gain a louder voice. They have both been trying to put pressure on the developed countries to show leadership and to help out in terms of bringing these other countries into a state of uh, resilience, their economies, make them more resilient. But they've also been increasingly pushing on the developing countries to take more responsibility and to step up and so on. Bangladesh opens up to the Bay of Bengal and has many islands, both big and small, off its southern border. I was living and working on a small island there that is made up of silt and the island comes and goes. And so I was very interested to understand how people live in a very dynamical environment. But at the same time, you know, over the period of time I was researching there, which was almost 10 years, I started to see, observe what I guess would consider climate change related changes, such as, you know, an intensification of of rains, the monsoons coming later, longer periods of cold, and so on. And so I started to wonder how it is that the international community was thinking about a place like this, encountering and combating climate change. Khan's fieldwork on the islands of Bangladesh pushed her to learn more about how the country's leaders and scientists are actively dealing with climate change, both domestically and abroad. Bangladesh today is still considered a relatively new nation, but one that's fast developing. However, the country is already feeling the impacts of higher sea levels, longer droughts, worsening heat waves, and fiercer storms. I was quite challenged by the fact that, you know, it was a poor country without necessarily all the infrastructure to deal with the challenges of being not just a poor country, but a poor country which regularly flooded. And so one of the things that people will readily know about Bangladesh is just about its uh, very large floods in which, you know, 25% to 50% of the country's uh, territory can sometimes be underwater and for extended periods of time. But with climate change, the problems intensify. Not only do we have floods that come more frequently, not in the cyclical way they used to, which is, you know, you have the 10-year flood, the 20-year flood, the 50-year flood. Now it's almost every other year there were floods. On top of flooding, Bangladesh is getting hit with more powerful and more frequent hurricanes. Its islands and coastal areas are facing an uncertain future as seawater rises and the land is drenched in salty water, creating an unhospitable environment. Khan saw these climate changes firsthand, but remains optimistic about the country's future because of how its leaders are approaching these challenges. One example is thinking ahead when it comes to disaster response and funding. 
Bangladesh has been really in the forefront in trying to think of loss and damage in more creative ways. They started a solidarity fund to already have a pot of money ready in case of climate-related loss and damage. They also started to try and prep smaller towns farther away from the coastal regions to be recipients of refugees from the coastal areas, so internally displaced refugees. And so in anticipation of that shift, they've been already planning for it. And so all of those, you know, in some ways sort of position Bangladesh to be a country to look at, to be not just feeling bad for, but also to learn from. Khan emphasizes that world leaders and private companies must separate geopolitics from climate change policy in order to start building more momentum and switch these climate promises into larger results. Last year was the hottest year on record, and scientists are already expecting upcoming years to break warming records. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Navita Khan, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written by our executive producer, Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Gary Price. Hey, it's your girl, Lonnie Love, and this segment is brought to you by Metamucil. Are you ready to take charge of your digestive health? I know I am. That's why I'm teaming up with Metamucil for the two-week challenge. Metamucil's 4-in-1 fiber helps promote regularity. Unlike many fibers, Metamucil's psyllium fiber gels to trap and remove waste from your digestive system, helping you feel lighter and more energetic after just two weeks. Try the Metamucil two-week challenge today. Learn more at metamucil.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Coming up on Viewpoints. I cornered James in the hall and asked, was there a time when you really needed me? And I didn't come because I was working. A high-profile journalist shares her story balancing motherhood with a demanding career. Then... Why would somebody who is a better actor or a better speaker be safer than somebody who is inarticulate? The hit-or-miss subjective nature of parole board hearings. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.